Hey, welcome City Light. I'm super excited. As uh, my friend Greg said, I am Derek Drummond. I'm married to my beautiful wife, Megan. We have four kiddos, and they are awesome. And uh, I get to lead a city group. That's one of my favorite things to do, and I do that on Monday nights. Our city group is called Seven Blocks West, because it's literally seven blocks west that way. And uh, so it's been really, really uh, a great thing and an honor to get to lead that. And it's really cool to see what City Light Council Bluffs has done in Council Bluffs so far. It's really, really amazing uh, that my wife and I have been able to travel along that course with uh, all of you guys. Um, I'm thankful uh, this morning. I'm honored uh, to be under the careful leadership of Doug Stevens and Eric Wiggum, who are neither one here this morning. Uh, But Doug is not feeling super great. Uh, and those guys were actually off at conference this week in Ohio, and they were back, and Doug just was not feeling well. Uh, and so Eric is actually over at Sherwood preaching. Uh, and so they uh, had actually planned for me to preach several months ago, which was great. It kind of worked out. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to teach through this passage this morning. Um, I myself would love to plant a church someday, so I've really been studying through my Bible uh, for years now, sort of preparing for that church planting mission that God has kind of poured into my life, and uh, I've also started preaching a bit, and so bear with me as I sort of uh, bring us into this message today. Um, One thing I've always noticed as I study through the Bible is that uh, this book specifically, um, there's just so many gospel truths about John. Um, what he talks about is a gospel of love. If you've read through the, the gospel according to John, it's about the love for Jesus. It's very clear as you kind of work through it. Uh, John is known as the beloved disciple. I mean, how sweet is that? Jesus' best buddy, and he calls him his beloved disciple. That is pretty awesome. Uh, he's trusted. He's, uh, John is a guy that actually is put in charge of Jesus' mother after he is on the cross. It's a pretty amazing thing that is given to John, a pretty big responsibility. And as a trusted historian, John also proves to write one of the most authentic stories about Jesus' life and how it impacts us today. John writes from the heart. As you read through John's gospel, you see that it's a thought-for-thought idea of Jesus' life and ministry. The purpose of John's writing is made known in a verse uh, found in chapter 20 in John's gospel, and it's sort of the one that's, as we've been tracking through the gospel of John, it's the one that's sort of our go-to verse as far as falling through, and it goes like this. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written down in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And one of the most treasured chapters in all of the book of John is John chapter 3, and it's an iconic piece of gospel truth, and it has a sign that points to new life through the Spirit. So one major implication as I studied this week and actually over the last couple months uh, looking through this chapter in John is that being born again is necessary. So my big idea for today and really my one point, and if you leave here, remember this, that being born again is necessary, okay? I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself finding it difficult to explain what being born again means. Let me explain. For me, I grew up uh, in a pretty great household. I had great parents, which are actually here today. Uh, I didn't get in trouble a lot, which was good. Um, They're here. I mean, maybe I'm not telling the truth. I mean, you can ask them later, Uh, but I feel like I was a pretty good kid. Uh, Didn't get in a lot of trouble, but then something happened, and I went off to college 
And I don't know if you can relate, but there's a lot of like temptation and college was not good for me. I ran off and I did things that I thought would be pleasurable. I, uh, maybe you can relate to this. Uh, things like alcohol uh, and then partying and then drugs entered into the scene and then girl chasing. And I thought all of these things would bring me pleasure, but at the end of the day, they brought me hurt and pain. Um, it wasn't really until later on that I started to realize that these friends that I've collected through uh, these means weren't really my friends at all. I was lost. I was hurt. I was broken. My identity was in the newest girlfriend or uh, partying or what's coming up this weekend. I was lost. I was certainly lost. I had no real friends. Uh, but then Jesus met me in the midst of that. I got found. I met this guy. His name was Jeff Miller. And he's actually come to worship here. Uh, and he's like 6'11-ish, really tall, huger-than-life guy. And we worked together at a bank, a small little bank inside of a Target. And over the course of a few months, I started to notice that Jeff did life totally different than I did life. Jeff was kind to everyone he met, even people who didn't deserve his kindness, uh, people who would be mean to him, and he would turn around and be nice to them. And I thought, who is this guy, and what has he got? Whatever he got, I want. Does that make sense? And so I started asking him, why are you the way you are? And after kind of like badgering him many times, he says to me, it's Jesus. Jesus is why I am the way I am. And I met him when I was 10, and so he goes through this whole list of things, and he says, you can know Jesus too. I was like, well, that's interesting. Uh, so we, we started studying the Bible together. We started praying together. And actually, to be honest with you, we just stayed up at night talking for quite a while. And uh, Jeff kind of became my best friend for a while. Um, the cool thing is, is I got found through that process. God worked. His very spirit, I had found God. It was amazing. Um, or perhaps maybe he found me through the spirit who was actually pursuing me in the midst of my mess, like in the midst of what's going on in my life. Maybe that's what was going on. And, and if you hear something today, hear that, that God is pursuing you as much as we're looking for him. Um, one thing I really want you to know is Jesus is 100% holy, and I was 100% broken. A good place to be, uh, actually, is when you get to that spot, because you can pray for the Spirit, and it will come into that mess, uh, and that's what happened in my own life. Um, some might call this the dark night of the soul. That's a, a popular phrase for like 200 years ago, uh, but for me, it was simply this idea that being born again is necessary. And so uh, that's sort of my guiding principle as I work through this sermon today that uh, just know that being born again is necessary. Um, so Jesus knew that I was a deep sinner, and I remember praying with my friend Jeff, and the prayer went something like this, and maybe you've prayed this, prayed this sinner's prayer at one time or another. I said, Jesus, I'm a deep sinner, and you are 100% holy. Jesus, I need saved. Jesus, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. I'm tired of doing life on my own. Please save me from my sins. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. And that was basically the sinner's prayer that I said some 17, 18 years ago. Uh, since then, uh, I met my wife and we got married and that actually moved my spiritual journey along as well. Um, so after I prayed, it wasn't like a light switch moment. What I mean to say is, uh, sometimes when you go into a dark room and you turn on the light, boom, light everywhere and everything's great and you're full of light. That wasn't my story. Uh, God had a lot of sorting to do. He had a lot of 
uh, sins to convict me of. There was a lot of stuff going on. So for me, it was a process, not a light switch moment. The Spirit convicted me. It drew out many sins and, and explained that they could be covered by the grace of Jesus. I'm not perfect, but thanks to Jesus and his Spirit, I'm not dead in my sins any longer. Okay, that's the big message, that you're not dead in your sins when you live in the Spirit. This is necessary. This was necessary in my life. Some of you have experienced this exact thing that I'm talking about, or you're in that process right now. My guess is that as you look back and as you look forward, you know that being reborn is necessary. You understand that. Some of you have experienced it and are going through it right now. A real-life example of this process can be seen in my son Dawson. Um, For many of you guys, he got baptized right here just a few months ago, uh, and this story sort of goes to this idea of necessity. Um, My son Dawson, he's in that gospel transformation. Sometimes I don't think he truly understands this word necessity. Let me explain. Uh, My son has a bike, and he really likes to ride his bike after church on Sundays. Uh, In fact, when we get home and it's nice like the weather is today, he'll say, Dad, can I ride my bike? And I'm like, sure. Uh, So one week in particular, I was mowing my yard while he was riding his bike around the, we have like a two-house rule. He's got to stay within the two houses on each side, so that way I can keep an eye on him. And so he comes back, and uh, one thing that's been going on with my son is his bike chain is starting to come off. And you guys know that once it comes off once, it seems to start coming off more and more. And so my son's bike chain had come off, and he rolls his bike up to me, and he's like, Dad, my chain fell off. And I'm mowing the yard. You know, I'm, like, busy. Uh, But I'm like, okay. So I shut the mower off, and I went over, and and I helped him, and we got the chain back on, and and he uh, rode off. And as he was riding off, he, uh, I looked at his hands as he was kind of getting on the bike, and they were covered in grease. And I said, son... It is really important that you go inside and wash your hands because I don't know if you guys that have kids, but like, like you have the nice church clothes and then when you get home, it's kind of changed into like the holy grubby clothes that you don't necessarily need to have on. So he didn't have that. He still had his nice like uh, dress pants, short things on. So he wiped the grease all over his hands, uh, all over his pants. And so I don't think he really understood that it was actually necessary for him to go wash them off. He just heard... It's an optional thing, and I don't really need to do that because now I'm going to go ride my bike some more. Like, he was ready to get on with the rest of his day. Uh, so, um, like Dawson's hands getting washed wasn't optional, it was now apparent with dirty shorts uh, that it was necessary in order to keep his clothes clean. Like, that was something he didn't see, but now he probably does. Rebirth isn't optional, it is necessary, And being born again is necessary. Although it is not meant to be a daunting thing to explain. It's not supposed to be difficult. Uh, Now that we've explored the idea of necessity, let's dig a bit deeper by talking about what we should know about rebirth so that we can explain it clearly to others. I imagine you uh, will also find yourself in the situation I was in earlier, not sure what to tell someone if they ask you, what is this born again idea? Let's start with what is the Holy Spirit and what is its uh, role when it comes to being reborn. I have here that the Holy Spirit is the very presence of God living inside the believer who grants freedom from the curse of sin, teaches us to treasure God's word, instructs us to be faithful in our relationships, and gives assurance of grace at judgment because of Jesus' perfectly sinless record. All this should be good news in our lives. Think about it. The very presence of God himself living in you and through you. 
not only living in you, but actually advocating on your behalf and for your present and your future good. A spirit not of box checking or law keeping, but of freedom. Freedom from the curse of sin. And the spirit not only does that, but it it teaches us to treasure things we might not be interested in, like reading God's word. Okay, I don't know about you, but before I got saved, no desire to read God's word. After I got saved, I started thinking, I should probably read God's word. It would be good to know the nature of God. How am I going to figure that out? I should, read my, I should read my Bible. Um, and really, the thing that's most freeing, I think, the Spirit teaches us to love others well. And most importantly, it seals up our judgment as not guilty in front of a holy God. I think that's really, really important, especially if we realize God is 100% holy and we are not. Okay, so we have to bridge that chasm some way. So as you can see, the Spirit has played a huge role in your transformation story. If you think about it, we can see it. Uh, maybe today you're seeing it for the very first time. This is good news in your life. Freedom in the spirit and assurance of your salvation, what a sweet spot to be in. What a gift this news of what Jesus did is when we take it to heart. To apply our knowledge, here's two practical questions you can think about as your day goes on and as this week kind of leads up. Um, and as, as you think of these, are you being obedient in your transformation story? Are you allowing the Spirit to work? And here's the two questions. Are you relying on your own willpower instead of God's power, the Spirit? And the second question kind of feeds off of that. Have you asked the Spirit of Jesus to guide your everyday life? Two practical things you can do and two things I can tell you from practical experience in my own life are instrumental to moving your spiritual life forward. Don't forget that the Spirit can always be trusted to do good for us in our lives. It's very important to remember that also. To understand the born-again concept, we certainly must trust the Holy Spirit, but we must also understand the true fullness of the gospel. What is the gospel of John trying to tell us here? First, I want you guys to admit, we don't know everything that we can see especially in the sense of the spirit realm. Jesus explains it this way when he's talking to Nicodemus in John 3.8. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it is coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. I mean, this is the wind example. And I don't know if you guys have ever been out in the country or looked at an old barn that has a weather vane on it. But sometimes in the spring and the fall when seasons are changing, you'll notice that that thing is dead set on one area. And then all of a sudden, for no reason whatsoever, the wind will kick up, and sometimes that thing will just spin around like you really don't know what direction the wind is going. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, So it is with God's Spirit. This is the way uh, Jesus is trying to explain this to Nicodemus. But let's just be honest. Nicodemus is kind of thick. He doesn't really get it. Uh, And so he says, how is this possible? What does this look like? Okay? And this is us too. I think a lot of times we're just like Nicodemus in that we start trying to figure out how does our spiritual life work? Right? What do we do? But seeing spiritual growth requires a spiritual eye. Right? And a lot of us don't necessarily get that right away. It's part of that process. Okay? So for me, um, it was, uh, I, I guess I could put it this way. Let me explain it in a physical way like Jesus did to Nicodemus, and maybe it will help us see it in a spiritual way. So my kids, every year for their birthday, they come out 
maybe not on their birthday, but the week of their birthday. I'm not the best dad in the world. But I get them outside, and in my garage, I have a workbench that my dad actually helped me put together. And on the side is a cabinet. And on the cabinet, there's little tick marks for my kid's height. And each year on their birthday, I make a little mark, and then I put their name and how old they were when they were that high. So I would say it's pretty easy to see that they're physically growing. Now, think about that spiritually. Is that true? Do we always grow at the same pace or no, right? And actually, we can all admit that there are some years, spiritually, it feels a little like we shrank maybe a little tiny bit. But the good news is Christ is working through the Spirit and being reborn is necessary. It's part of that process. If we could only track our spiritual growth the way we track my kids' physical growth, that would be sort of amazing. We would know right where we were. We could gauge where we were. But we all know that that's pretty difficult to do. Um, But we can also all agree that we see spiritual growth as not optional, but required. Being reborn again of the Spirit is necessary. Let's be honest. We can't love God and love others on our own, right? We need to be reborn of the Spirit. Do this according to God's heart so it's not of your own doing. This is what starts to happen as the gospel transforms your life. This is starting to happen right now in City Light as we look around. God does the work among us. If we look and we have eyes and we want to see it, listen, City Life, um, starting new city groups, right? Like in our city, we are ministering to people. Um, we are serving our city. Just a few weeks back, they did a serve fest in Council Bluffs where several churches uh, got around and helped serve the city of Council Bluffs needs. And we're inviting our neighbors to church with us to know the real Jesus, Think about it. Transformation is happening right here at City Light. A perfect example of what this love looks like uh, can be seen in my little daughter, Phoebe. Um, For those of you who don't know her, she's about two and a half. She is super cute, and she is like the light of our family. Um, When she runs up to me, she gives you this look and this smile that I can't help but just sense that that's how our Father in Heaven sees us, can't wait to hug us, loves us. Man, that is a good place to be. That is a good place to be. Um, John the Baptist tells us about the true nature of God's spirit in John 3, 34 and 30, through 36. He says, for he whom God has uttered the words of God, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Did you catch it in there? Without measure. That's a lot of spirit. I don't think we often get it. We trust the Spirit to give us the words that we need in our conversations about our faith without measure. Rebirth of a spiritual kind without measure. The good news of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection without measure. That's a good spot. Simply put, the gospel is the greatest news ever told. That because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we can embrace the truth that we found in John 3.16 that my friend Greg read earlier. It says, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. What an important thing. And really, when you're walking somebody into faith, that's the verse they need to hear. When I was 
uh, with my friend Jeff, he just kept like telling me that over and over in different ways, practical ways in my life, and it transformed the way I saw God. Now that we can explain the Holy Spirit and we can understand the fullness revealed in the gospel, let me um, kind of show us the next sort of thing that the, the scripture itself teaches. The Bible teaches that the gospel is above all else, it's news. It's news that's meant to be spe- uh, shared out readily. It's battle news. Listen, the battle has been won. Jesus won it on your behalf, right? And in, uh, back in ancient times, what they would do is when the battle was over, they would send a herald, they would send a messenger, and that messenger would go all the way back, and he would say, we won the battle. And the people in the village or the town or the kingdom would be like, yes, that's great news, like peace and, uh, or whatever it was, and they could uh, go on to have freedom, like it was good, and people were excited to hear it. Is that true about the gospel of Jesus in your life? Um, let's, let's look at the scripture reading today and kind of go line for line. We'll parse out the context of what's going on between Nicodemus and Jesus. First off, I want you guys to hear this. Nicodemus is no fool. Very highly educated man. Uh, he, he knows Jesus. He's heard about him. Uh, and Jesus actually calls Nicodemus the greatest teacher of all of Israel. Aren't you the teacher of Israel, he says. Nicodemus' life story, he would have passed through school age of 13, and that's where Israelite uh, boys would have studied and girls. And at 13, they graduate from school. Then uh, he was so smart in his class and probably graduated with top honors, he got under one of the best rabbis and learned all he could. He got married. Uh, We know that because he served on the Sanhedrin, which is like the Supreme Court for Israel. And to do that, you must be married. So he had to be married. Um, He was an expert uh, in educational training in the law, and he learned to be an effective teacher himself, a true religious expert, a well-known law keeper, a trusted law giver, and a judge-like figure for Israel. In fact, he was so good at it, he would uh, rule on different laws. He would be a fence builder. And what I mean is, uh, the way uh, ancient Israel would work is, you guys know there's like 10 Mosaic laws, right? And then after that, they wanted to create what they call hedge laws. And if you read through uh, the first five books of the Bible, you'll see that there's around 600 and some additional laws that Moses and others had sort of piled on top of Moses's law so that you wouldn't even break those laws. So like, they're designed for our good. They're called fence laws or hedge laws. And they're for keeping us from breaking God's law and breaking God's heart. The interesting thing about that is Nicodemus was an expert in these. He knew them. In fact, uh, Nicodemus would have been a guy who memorized the entire five first books of the Bible, the Torah. He also would have memorized huge, long scrolls like Isaiah. He would have known all the chapters in Isaiah. Definitely not a dumb guy, a very intelligent guy. But here's the question. Was Nicodemus good with God? After all this religious training, after all this teaching, was he good with God? And I would kind of guess he wasn't because he shows up at night to visit Jesus and he's missing something. He says, Jesus, I've noticed you've done a bunch of miracles and I know God must be with you. And I thought I knew the character of God and the character of God I know is a God who wants me to keep laws and check boxes and do all that. But I don't, that doesn't look like your ministry. Your ministry is so different than that. Why? And Jesus doesn't really answer his questions, he kind of starts going on about what the spirit of God is like and what the kingdom of God is like and that you can't enter the kingdom of God without being reborn again. And 
Nicodemus is totally confused. I think he was sort of hoping he would get this magic potion book or something that Jesus would give him, and then he'd have the power that Jesus did on top of all his good religious things that he'd done in his life. Didn't go like that. Um, in fact, in the, in the text it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees, his name was Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. Ruler there meaning like he taught all the Jews. They knew who he was. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs unless, he is, unless God is with him. Jesus answers him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and flesh, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I say. You must be born again. And then Jesus gives the analogy. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it's coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of all of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you have not received our testimony. If I tell you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? So that's the whole interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. This is a classic example of having ears but not being able to hear or having eyes and not being able to see for Nicodemus. I'm not sure he quite gets it, but maybe we didn't either when we first heard about God and we started to see how God was working in our lives. If religion hadn't done it, it would have done it. Listen, Nicodemus had done everything he was supposed to do according to religious standard, but yet he had not received salvation. He didn't get it. He didn't understand it. And even if Jesus explained it all to him, he still didn't quite know what was going on. Uh, he didn't know the true character, the true judgment, the true nature of God. What is the nature of God, and how is it working here in this passage? God reveals himself in these conversations, and his purpose is clear. Belief in Christ leads to eternal life now and forever. We see that in John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, so whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and never perish. What do you think is the big takeaway in this passage? Here's my takeaway. We can be so caught up in the very process, or even worse, like Nicodemus and our own pride, that we miss the work that's already being done in the spirit in our lives today. Don't let that be said about you. Be bold enough to show others the spirit and how it's working and the proof of the progress in your life. This is your God-honoring connection to other people. Listen, this is what Jeff had that I wanted so badly years ago. Jeff lived authentically. Jeff had integrity. Jeff led by the Spirit. And Jeff took the time and was kind enough to explain the fullness of Jesus to me. And could he do that on his own? No, that was all the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is what transforms people's lives. Because being reborn is necessary. Um, by giving God the glory in your story, you will be ready to share your rebirth narrative with other people effectively. So next time you find yourself being unsure about this gospel issue of rebirth, how will you respond? 
Hopefully, you'll be able to practically and in a cool manner talk about the very idea of being born again. You can tell them what Jesus says in John chapter three. You can explain that the Bible is reliable. You can understand that they could be skeptical. That's okay. Skeptics are welcomed into the kingdom of God. Expect Nicodemus-type responses from people who claim to be moral, the moral religious crowd. And also know that moral ideas all come from God. Point them to the cross of salvation. Share your story and leave the lines of communication open. If you aren't reborn yet and you're in this room, let's read what it is to not be reborn. John 3.18 puts it this way. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him, condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Listen, if you're not reborn, you're condemned already. What do you got to lose, right? Pour in, get blessed, feel God, receive the Spirit. He wants to pour it out. He loves you, and he has mercy and grace for you. You can really see it as we have looked through this uh, chapter 3 in John's Gospel. The truth is, without the Spirit of God, our hope is in ourselves. And really, who hopes for that? This verse reminds us, that if we're not in Jesus, we're condemned already. So what do we do? What now? What can I do? What can you do? We can ask God to renew our very spirit because after all, being born again is necessary. Imagine if we really understood what that meant in our, in our everyday lives and we could explain this reality of spiritual transformation to other people. What if being reborn was something tangible, authentic, easy to point to in our own lives. Then we could live out the gospel in practical ways as the son of the spirit of God that indwells inside of us would have us to do. We could in freedom truly know what it is to live the way God has designed us to be in step with the spirit, reborn with the very power of God inside of us. It's a work of God that we become Christ-like. This is the very process of a fancy term called sanctification, this idea of becoming like God is only possible if we have a real relationship with God Almighty being reborn of the Spirit. It isn't optional, it is required. Don't live all of your life in fear of whether or not you've worked out your salvation. Truth is, every Christian is a born-again Christian. If they've placed their trust in Jesus and your heart reflects that truth in your everyday life, you're promised to be transformed to be changed. John the Baptist explains it this way, and gospel living can be summed up like this in verse 30 of chapter three. He must increase, but I must decrease. If you want one Bible passage to point people to, even John the Baptist understood this. And even though he baptized hundreds of people out in the wilderness, he pointed to Jesus and says, that's the Lamb of God. I must decrease, he must increase. That is the gospel message. Jesus must increase while I decrease. Listen, we're not really that important. Jesus is worthy of our praise. He's worthy to be lifted up. He is the one that gives us the very spirit of God. In conclusion, a true relationship with God Almighty, being reborn of spirit, isn't optional. It's a requirement. It's a necessity. The Holy Spirit is necessary in your life. The scriptures are necessary in your life. Rehearing over and over and over again the gospel of Jesus Christ is necessary in our lives. 
Your story, my story, our testimony is necessary in our lives. Necessary for what? Necessary for actual, lasting, and true transformation. The good news is that Christ has already paid for your transformation. He sealed that transformation by putting his very spirit in you. And I, for one, cannot wait for the day for Jesus to come back on the scene to make the ultimate transformation, restoring you and I back to the garden with him called the new heavens and the new city. See this in Revelation, where everything is guided by the very spirit of God himself. What an amazing day that will be. 2 Thessalonians 1.10 puts it this way. On that day, he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. The truth is, is when we accept Christ's testimony, when we come into the spirit, God wants to do big things in our life. I guarantee you, back before I knew Jeff, the very last thing you would have put this guy on is a potential church planter. Okay, I'm just telling you straight up, never gonna happen, ever, right? I tell my kids at Heartland where I get to teach every week, uh, listen, if you'd have known me 20 years ago, I would not have been allowed to come in the school. Like, I was that bad. Like, I was not a good guy. And I'm telling you, through the spirit of God himself, things have changed. Things have been transformed. Things are different. Everything is different. Um, I have a friend, uh, Brendan Dingus, at our school. He put it this way. He said to me, um, When I got reborn, it was like my mind changed about the way I viewed things, and then my actions followed that. This kid's 16, and he's explaining clearly what it is to be reborn. It's something that happens internally, which has an outward effect. It changes our relationships with our parents. It changes our marriages. It changes our way we treat our kids. It changes everything. It changes the way we have a relationship with our neighbors, Right? God says you're to love God above everything else and love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm going to be honest, without the spirit of God, some of my neighbors are super annoying. Right? Like some of them are very difficult to love. Right? But because of the spirit of God, we can be transformed. Um, I, I love the way 2 Thessalonians puts it. Listen, on that day when he comes to glorify his people, to be marveled at, this is Christ, all those who have believed, this includes you, because you believed our testimony to you, being born again is necessary.